We finished Daniel. So where do we go now? Well, y'all are scattering today, so before you go, I, uh, I wanted to answer a question that I got uh, texted to me. Um, it's, a, it's a familiar question. It's, it's one that is, uh, you know how they say, uh, I'm asking for a friend. Um, but, but it is a question that, that many people have. And um, that is, why does God let bad things happen? I mean, does God know what's coming? Does he know the future? Does he know what is going to take place? Well, yes. Well, does he have all power? Yes. Well, if God knows everything, and he has all power then why does he let bad things happen? Brilliant minds have applied themselves to this question. And lots of not-so-brilliant minds. Rabbi Kushner wrote a book, When Bad Things Happen to Good People. His, his suggestion was God would really like to help, but, you know, there's only so much he can do. You know, I mean, basically, he, it, it's... God's power is limited. Well, I, I can't even say nice try, Rabbi. Um, because if we're going to know the truth about God, we need to start with the source, and that is God. What has God told us about this? It's, it's not just unbelievers who ask this question. It is believers and some people ask this in the midst of horrible, agonizing pain. And often it is asked as we see someone else's troubles and sorrows, not just our own. But we agonize for someone else, for the family who has the child at St. Jude's Hospital, battling cancer. For the parent of a child who is born with all kinds of challenges, complications, things that are wrong. But oftentimes, honestly, the question comes more as a smokescreen an avoidance tactic. I don't want to deal with God, but people keep trying to tell me that God is what I need. God's the answer. And then, if that's true, why does God let bad things happen? Okay? You answer me that, and then maybe I'll consider what you have to say. Well, we need to be compassionate toward people who are really processing the pain. And we need to be compassionate, frankly, toward people who are just running from God and throwing that back as a question to try and slow us down as we're telling them, wait, wait, you're headed in the wrong direction. Years ago, 
and I've shared this with you before more than once. I was at a conference in Atlanta uh, before we had started the ranch, but as we were in the process of pursuing this. Uh, the conference was uh, a conference regarding child abuse, and the theme of the conference was we can and we must stop child abuse. That's a That's motivational. Folks, we need to stop child abuse. We can. So let's, let's find out how. The conference was sponsored, ironically, by the largest uh, sponsor of child abuse in America, Planned Parenthood. Uh, an organization that promised before Roe v. Wade, every child a wanted child, okay? We're going to make sure that every child is a wanted child by facilitating your killing any children you don't want, okay? I don't think that's much of a solution. That's like saying, I have a cure for cancer, we're going to go through the cancer hospital and shoot everybody in the head. That's not the solution. So I went to the conference, and I'm not going to tell you some of the parts about that experience that I enjoyed the most. But one of the things that I did during a breakout session when people were out in the lobby and mixing around with each other and literature was being handed out and so forth, I, I went around asking people at the conference, um, excuse me, I, I just had a question. What's wrong with child abuse? That was my question. Now, you can imagine that this was a little off-putting for the people who are at a conference themed, we can and we must stop child abuse. Anybody who knows me knows that I've dedicated my life to serving the Lord in large measure by fighting against child abuse. But these people didn't know me. This was the Planned Parenthood crowd. So they didn't know me. I, I looked up until those words came out of my mouth like a reasonably normal, sane guy in his 30s, you know, who was, who was registered for the conference, had the little name tag on. But, but I, was, I was saying, what's wrong with child abuse? Well, of course, they stammered around and, and, and uh, well, it's just wrong. I said, says who? I mean, who are you to say? If, I mean, I, I, I'm, not, I'm not saying you're wrong, but, but, if, but if I like abusing kids, who are you to force your morality on me? See, that's a very uncomfortable question for the Planned Parenthood crowd. Because they've spent decades saying, if you don't want to have an abortion, don't have an abortion. But who are you to force your morality on me? as if that's some kind of victory card. I asked 
One of the people, I got passed up the line, as you might imagine. I think you need to talk with so-and-so. Okay, I'd be happy to. Nobody, by the way, was able to come up with more of an answer than, well, it's just wrong. That's, that's like saying, I don't want to listen to you because, because I don't want to listen to you. You know, you, you really haven't moved the, the discussion further. But they got me finally to one of the organizers of the conference, one of the officers with Planned Parenthood there in Atlanta. And, um, and, and she said, well, I see what you're saying, but, but I think child abuse is wrong because... Um, we need we, we need to stop it because it it um, it involves another person. Bingo! That's precisely my problem with abortion. I said, let me just ask you a question. I said, I understand you don't want to force morality on people because people have different views of right and wrong. And I said, but if I'm walking through the parking lot and I see you being raped. Would you say that it's okay for me to interfere with that rapist raping you? Or should I say, hey, I'm sorry. I just want you to know I am personally opposed to what he's doing to you. But I really don't think it's okay for me to force my morality on him. Obviously, he has another view of the situation. She said, well, I would hope you would interfere. And I said, yeah, you would hope so, but do I have a moral imperative to do so? Do I have a responsibility to interfere with what he's doing to you? And she said, well, I would like to think so. And I said, well, I would suggest that I do have a responsibility to intervene in that situation. And that I am failing morally if I don't seek to intervene and force our sense of morality on the rapist. If I just say, well, you know, everybody has their own view, people are going to do what they're going to do, I don't have a right to interfere with what he's doing. Then I am complicit in what he is doing. She saw my point, but she couldn't really agree with me without condemning herself. And so her final answer was, well, I never claimed to be consistent. Oh, that's the get-out-of-jail-free card. Okay? When it's convenient for me to talk about morality, we can and we must stop child abuse. Then I'm a moralist, and I'll preach. But when somebody wants to tell me I need to change and not do what I want to do, hey, 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 mind your own business. What's wrong with child abuse? God says it's wrong. The fact that everyone has an awareness 
of right and wrong is in itself evidence for the fact that God exists. The question, why does God let bad things happen? Says that even if you don't want to believe in God, there must be a God, or the question would be meaningless. Because if there's no God, and if God is not good, then who's to say it's bad for a child to have cancer? Who's to say that it's bad for Adolf Hitler to want to kill the handicapped, the homosexuals, and the Jews, and anybody else who gets in his way? Who's to say it's wrong? Who are we to judge? Judge not, lest ye be judged. It's less, not least. But that person didn't know what they were saying anyway. Francis Schaeffer apparently was having a conversation in England with a Hindu. And um, I know he he lived in Switzerland, but he was in England when this happened, I'm told. Um, He was visited in his flat by a Hindu fellow who was trying to argue that Schaefer's view was too narrow and that there are all kinds of ways of looking at things and that ultimately when it comes to morality, there is no absolute truth, there is no right and wrong. It's just a matter of different ways of looking at things. Schaefer restated his, the Hindu's position, said, I want to be sure that's what you're saying, right? And he said, yes. He said, okay. He got up, went over, and turned on the stove underneath the tea kettle, came back and continued the discussion. And they talked about this, and they talked about this, and they talked about this, but it was all centered around the subject of moral relativism. And the Hindu was explaining why Christian theology is just wrong because it's trying to impose a narrow view on everyone as to right and wrong and so on. And the kettle began to whistle and Schaefer got up and went over and made himself a cup of tea and then brought the kettle over to where the Hindu was sitting and held it over his head and said, so if I understand you correctly, I can pour this water over you, and you have no basis to say that was wrong of me. And the Hindu got up and left. Now, Schaefer didn't pour the water on him, obviously. But you see, moral relativism is a hoax. David Wilkerson, a Pentecostal country preacher from West Virginia, went to New York City because he had seen an article in the news about the horrible problems with gang violence and drug abuse among young people, and he felt moved by God to go and try and tackle that problem. He eventually started Teen Challenge, which is to this day the most effective treatment program for people with substance abuse issues anywhere in America and as far as I know, anywhere in the world. Okay? And there are other ministries doing great work, but they generally follow the pattern that Teen Challenge follows. And that is not the norm 
when it comes to how people try and get rid of substance abuse issues. This Teen Challenge is all about pointing people to Jesus. Now, David Wilkerson went to New York, and somebody decided it would be a nice thing to have him on a morning talk show, local news outlet in New York City. And Wilkerson was put up on the little circle with a Jewish atheist who was a professor of sociology at one of the universities there in New York. I don't, don't recall which one. So you got the relatively uneducated country preacher from West Virginia and the sophisticated doctor of sociology in New York City. And, and this, this ought to be fun to watch the Pentecostal get beaten up. And so the sociologist was making the same basic argument as the Hindu, and that is that, you know, it's all relative. What's morally right for you is what your society, your culture, your upbringing tells you is right. That's where we get our sense of right and wrong. It's a cultural thing. And so what's right in this culture would be wrong in this culture, and what's right in this culture would be wrong in that culture. And we just need to accept that about each other and understand that it's, there is no standard. Wilkerson said, I, I want to be sure I understand what you're saying. Recapped briefly, the man said yes. He said, okay, so I am a young German living in Germany in 1939. I know that you are Jewish. And I have been taught in my culture and by my government now that you are vermin. You're a parasite. You're no good for society. The world would be better off without you. I have, and he did his hand like this, I have a revolver in my hand, and I'm pointing it at your head. Tell me why I shouldn't pull the trigger. The man said, well, that's not fair. Wilkerson said, what do you mean? He said, you're appealing to emotion. He said, I'm not appealing to emotion. I'm asking you to tell me logically, based on what you said about right and wrong, why should I not pull the trigger? And at this point, a little bit of perspiration on the part of the professor, he said, because life is sacred. Oh, Sacred, interesting word for an atheist, a professed atheist. Life is sacred. Wilkerson put his gun down. <laughs> and he said, there's your God. You believe that human life is the supreme value. Well, I want to point out then that if that's as far up as it goes, it was your God that was responsible for the Holocaust because it was people who did that. Well, he definitely won that argument, but hold on a minute. 
We don't believe that human life is supreme. So even though people did the Holocaust, don't we go back to this issue of why would God let that happen? I mean, wasn't God in charge of the world in 1939? When the Holocaust took place, was God absent? No. One of the things that we must understand is that there is evil in the world and a lot of things happen that not only are not pleasing to God, but God has promised that he will deal with it. Well, I wish he'd deal with it right now! Really? If God got rid of everything that isn't the way it should be right now, none of us would be here at the conclusion of the message because that would be the conclusion of the message. You see, if God got rid of everything in the world that isn't good, we wouldn't have lunch today. You're saying lunch isn't good? I'm saying we aren't good! Oh. Well... Why is it like this? I am so glad you asked that question. Romans chapter 5, verses 12 through 14. I'm so glad he finally got to the Bible. Romans 5, 12 through 14. This is God's word. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin... And in this way, death came to all men, because all sinned. For before the law was given, sin was in the world, but sin is not taken into account when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even over those who did not sin by breaking a command, as did Adam, who was a pattern of the one to come. God add his blessing to to this reading from his holy word. Folks, the world is messed up. There's a lot of stuff in the world that is not what pleases God. In fact, it makes God angry. But you need to know, it hasn't always been this way. God didn't create a mess. God created beauty. God created paradise. And God created humans and put them in paradise and told them how to make it even more wonderful. And he said, do this and don't do this. And what did our parents do? They did what God said not to do. And God had told them, if you do that, you're going to die. Death enters the scene. Death comes into this world because people said, I'm going to do what you said not to do. I'm not going to do what you said to do. 
And then when we have just made a mess, we say, why is there a mess? What happened here? I don't get it. And so we go to therapy and the therapist tells us, it's your parents' fault. <laughs> well, it is if you go back to our first parents. Adam and Eve really messed it up for everybody. It hasn't always been a mess. But okay, if that is the explanation as to why it's a mess. Are we just kind of stuck with this? Well, life is, life is hard and then you die. Well, there's some truth to that. That's not the whole truth, but it's part of the picture. I don't care who you are. You're going to experience things that are painful and difficult and you're going to see stuff that is horrifying. It's just the way it is. Because we live in a fallen world. And the manifestations of death are all around us. In the gated communities with McMansions and huge estates. There's still sickness and loneliness, heartache and immorality and all kinds of trouble. But it's not forever. It is not forever. Not only has it not always been this way, it's not always going to be this way. And to us, when we're going through hard times, it seems like it's lasting forever, but it's not. It's not. I've been through some painful things in my life. When I was recovering from open heart surgery, my wife finally, bless her heart, sitting there in the room with me, got tired of hearing me say over and over, Lord have mercy, Lord have mercy, Lord have mercy, Lord have mercy, Lord have mercy. How many times can a person say that? Well, if you've just had your chest cut open and the anesthesia and pain meds are wearing off, you can say a lot. I mean, I was, I felt like I had been hit by a truck. And the pain didn't stop. I kept saying, Lord, have mercy, and it still hurt. For days. Now, I didn't say, Lord, have mercy as often after the first day that I was awake. But, but I want you to know, I was on the inside still saying, Lord, have mercy. But that was, that was the end of 2016. By the end of the summer in 2017, <laughs> I was starting to feel normal again. I spent weeks, I, I told the doctor before the surgery, he said, you will not be able to work for six months and you will not be able to do anything work-related 
for at least three months. And I thought, he does not know me. <laughs> By golly, he just, you know. I, I'm one of those people who, even if I'm hurting, I'm just going to keep on going. Uh, not this time. I, I, couldn't, I couldn't stand up in the shower. Okay? My wife, God bless her, had to help me bathe. The one good thing about recovery. But, but I want you to know, when I was going through that, it seemed like it lasted forever. But it wasn't forever. It was for a season. And it's over. You may feel like whatever you're going through is taking forever. I had acne. Now I have a beard. <laughs> but <laughs> I remember when I was a teenager and I thought I had done a good job bringing the message on Youth Sunday and this boy, John Daniels, walks up to me and says, <laughs> still remember who it was. <laughs> he, said, uh, he said, have you got the measles? <sighs> no, I don't. It's called acne. That seemed like it was never going to go away, but it did. And I was even able to get married at age 21. Hey! And there were no zits in the wedding pictures. But when you're in the middle of your pain, whatever your pain is, it just seems like it's never going to go away. But let me tell you something. Life is short. You'll be amazed how things that used to seem like they were taking forever are now in the rearview mirror. Goes like that. And it just picks up speed as you age because every year is a smaller fraction of your life. It hasn't always been this way. Sin entered the world through a man, and death through sin. Not always going to be this way. We need to realize that God has already provided the solution. And you and I are going to have to stand before him. And if we are trusting in the solution that he has provided, all will be well. But if we are still trying to keep God at a distance by saying, well, if you're so great, why is there suffering in this life? God answered the question. Suffering in this life because people don't do what God said. Well, what if I try to do what you said? Well, that's a good thing but it won't save you. The only hope for anybody, anywhere, is that God became one of us. Jesus is God in human form. Fully God and fully man. And he did that precisely so that he could die for us. 
He took the punishment we deserve for our sin so that we could be forgiven. And being forgiven makes it possible for us to be reconciled to a holy God. So, we shouldn't be asking so much, why is there sin in the world? Why is there evil in the world? Why are there bad things in this world? What we ought to come to grips with is, why is there sin in me? Not, not why is society messed up, but why am I messed up? Why do I keep doing the wrong stuff? Because you see, that's the real problem. I can't fix that. Planned Parenthood really was not in a position to stop all the child abuse in America. But they could have stopped killing kids. But they wanted to talk about what those people need to do. Not about what they were doing at taxpayer expense. We want to talk about the problems out there, not the problems in here. That's how it becomes a smokescreen. You see, I think think God's the one with the problem. He'll take care of all the problems. But I, but I, I think, you know, if God's so great, then there shouldn't be all these problems. There won't be forever. There won't be forever. Hasn't always been this way. Not always going to be this way. And this life is shorter than you think. And the question is, are you ready for what's coming? Have you put your trust in Jesus? Have you yielded your life to him? Or are you still just trying to wing it? Make it on your own. Do things your way. By golly, I just believe if I try hard enough, I can make this happen. It's what Adam and Eve tried. Didn't work out so well. Never has, never will. You want to be your own God? You're going to hell. But if you realize Jesus is the Savior, I need him. He stands ready to save. Whosoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. You don't have to be good enough. You don't have to be smart enough. You don't have to do enough. You just need to cry out to him to have mercy on you. And he will. It is possible to be saved. And folks, it is urgent. I plead with you while you have the opportunity. Put your trust in Jesus. Father, we thank you so much that your word is true and that we can come to you anytime, anywhere, as long as we have breath and cry out to you for mercy. Why would we want to wait? Why would we want to keep hitting our thumb with the hammer over and over and over? Why would we want to injure ourselves and others by refusing to submit to you. Help us, we pray, to believe your word. 
and to surrender our lives to you this day. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Why do we have